Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. And the Animation Deliberation Podcast. That's right. Today we're teaming up with both of the hosts of the Animation Podcast to talk about The Bad Batch, Episode 7. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. everybody my name is matthew i'm your host and you know it's been a little all over the place in terms of who's been joining me as co-host we started out wanting this to be primarily with the the hosts of the animation deliberation podcast a fantastic podcast here on the stranded panda network schedules have been trouble uh have been hard so we haven't always gotten both of them or sometimes we've had other people as well or instead of but today i'm really glad we made it all work we have both jay scotty and zuhair how are you folks doing today Doing, doing very well. Not only is it an absolutely beautiful day here, and it was great to revisit such a great show, but it's really great to have the Animation Deliberation podcast as a whole covering this series for the first time since our initial primer episode. Um, I, I'm kind of tempted to make a little bit of a joke here. Zuhair's been a bit of a crosshair ah. um, in ah. these proceedings. Ah. So. <laughs> It's ha. good to have him back in the fold <laughs> for a change. Thank you so much. <laughs> Zuhair has this silly idea that work and like getting paid matters more than recording these podcasts. And I, I know you all are new to this business, so you don't, the dedication isn't there yet, but, but hopefully that'll change. But Zuhair, I'm so glad you could be with us in all seriousness. Uh, let, let's kind of start with you. Um, we've not had John very much. How are you doing and uh, how have you been liking the whole show so far? I'm doing it pretty good. It's it's gloomy on this end of the coast, but it's been pretty nice, relaxing weather. Finally, getting a, a breather from work, and I'm happy to finally have our schedules line up to do this because I really have been enjoying this show. Uh, I think during the primer episode, uh, I kind of called my shots, and a few things have been coming to fruition. Some yeah. things a little sooner than I anticipated, and <laughs> uh, some you just kind of see how they've been setting up the seeds for it. But it's been really good. I've been happy with it. Uh, it is a little episodic, which the beginning of both seasons of Mandalorian kind of were too, but we do have 16 episodes, so they have a little more time to set up the stage for whatever big events I feel they're going to be having coming towards the last few episodes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we've we've talked about that some, that we're kind of like relearning how to watch episodic television, because mm-hmm. certainly with The Mandalorian and with, I think, a lot of the Disney Plus shows, it's very much been a you know, a single movie story in eight parts or in 12 parts or in six parts or whatever. And yeah, I think, I think in some ways I'm being um, a little bit frustrated with the, some ways, some ways I like it. I kind of wish we'd had more on Coruscant. We'll get into that, but I think there's certainly a lot, a lot there to love. What would have been kind of your, some of your favorite parts of this so far? Hmm. Um, well, Crosshair was one of the most fascinating characters for me going into the show, so seeing his switch over and how uh, in-depth the mind control and how effective the inhibitor chips is is pretty interesting. Like I said uh, in the primer was that one of the things I was really interested in was more about like the transition from Republic to Empire mm-hmm. and that the Bad Batch was kind of our way to see it. There have been a lot of crossovers quicker than I expected, but as somebody who loves good universe building, they're doing a great job with it. Yeah. All the, like those little moments of like the the new currencies being issued and yeah. the, the signs of the people who are clearly very frustrated that, you know, there's been so much chaos and now comes the Empire to and I, I say this with the intentional irony, like the Empire is gonna make the trains run on time. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're they're bringing back order out of chaos. Um 
But then also somebody who's grown up in a military town, like seeing this transition of people who have only known how to be soldiers and take orders to like try to figure out how to do things on their own and like find out where they sit in life has been a super interesting story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in terms of like how folks like that often don't like that you can understand the need, the, the, the interest in like stronger authoritarian type figures instead of the like, hey, everybody gets to vote and choose and decide this all for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely think that there's a lot of truth to that. I remember um, uh, when Russia like was, was really sort of first experimenting with democracy was when I was in college and studying political science. And we did actually a lot of studies on how cultures that had been very used to kind of somewhat rigid, like top down, everyone telling you what to do you know, being thrust right all the way to the other end of democracy can be sometimes a shock. And sometimes they're like, yeah, let's just go right back to where things were. And I, I'm definitely enjoying that because the, it's also interesting the the way in which that's mirroring what happened in um, Mandalorian. Where And, and in fairness here, it's not that there's been a, um, you know, it, 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 it's not that all of a sudden they had democracy we're choosing. It's, a, yeah, that they've seen all the problems with the Republic, even though we know they've all been manipulated by Palpatine. But that, you know, for them, it's like, oh, OK, well, we, should, we want some authority to, like, clean up the chaos and clean up the corruption. And it's it's one more way in which I find, like, the, these shows are, are – it's space wizards. It's lightsabers. It's starship battles. But still is about things that are pretty relevant to our own world. And that's why Rogue One is probably my favorite Star Wars movie because as much as I love the the fantasy and the Jedi aspect of it, like, seeing the boots-on-the-ground perspective and how the everyday actions of the Empire – were affecting these yeah. people and why they were fighting for what they were fighting for it was a super fascinating perspective and I'm glad we get to see more of that like again I love the Jedi influence but there's so much more storytelling to do and they're doing a fantastic job with like diving into how big this world actually is yeah not to get too off track here but while we're on the subject of that and you bring up Rogue One I can't help but like think of the fact that Tony Gilroy is basically the showrunner for the Cassian Andor series that's coming out so Hopefully that's oh, yeah. another series that can follow a similar through line and really add some more nuance um, to this whole, you know, Star Wars is very much the through line is good versus evil, but it's been really enjoyable to get to see some of the shades of gray in between there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think that's very true. I, I love the Cassian Andor story just because of like how, you know, a hero who shoots an innocent man in the first five minutes he's on screen, but mm-hmm. clearly needs to do so for the good of the rebellion. Like that's just such a great character to begin with. And oh, yeah. so, like, gray. But especially in terms of the show, I think you know, what you said about Rogue One, I think, is very true. Like, I love some of the other movies as well, but Rogue One's definitely one of my favorites. And I think this show is becoming one of my favorites because, like, when I look to people who are role models to me or people who I can think of as, um, yeah, like, that, that I, I relate to the things that person's going through. I can't relate to a space wizard. Like, yeah. I think they're awesome to watch. But someone like Jin Erso or Cassian Andor or like now the guys in the Bad Batch, like I'm not, I, I'm not a soldier, obviously I'm not fighting in their kind of world, but still like those people feel much more relatable. They feel much more down to earth in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to, I think, my favorite moment of this show in terms of just like uh, this episode, at least, Star Wars characters doing things that we do as well. Mm-hmm. If whatever like Disney World Star Wars adventure thing, you know, all, all any of them that are out there, if they're not selling a kind of like flavored popcorn mix and calling it Mantel Mix with Star Wars branding, <laughs> their marketing department deserves to be fired. Because I saw that immediately. It was like, I want popcorn like that. That was great. Yeah. What I do you think it tastes like? Pers- I think it's just colored caramel corn. Okay. Yeah. 
I'm guessing maybe it's kind of different, like, you know, some bubblegum or, you know, caramel or different kind of thing. Like, it, to me, it looked like you go to one of those um, fancy popcorn places and just have yeah. them do, like, the mix and match thing. Mm-hmm. But, I like, got kind of, like, everlasting gobstopper vibes from it. I thought maybe it might have, like, a fruitier kind of candy taste to it, but oh, that's, possible. that's neither that's here possible. nor there. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but that's the thing is, like, that's something, like, I'm never going to drink Drew, I'm never going to drink blue milk, I hope, not in my life. Um, but that was uh, a lot more. This is, this is totally off the beating pass. I want to make it as quick as possible. But I went to a Star Wars bar crawl, and uh-huh. one of the bars actually had the blue milk. Oh, okay. And it was delicious. It was probably the best drink that I had that night. Because everything, like, throughout the night at every bar was, like, Star Wars themed drinks. And whoever made the blue milk did an amazing job. I, hmm. I, we're going to go even more off the topic and then get back, I promise. But there's, a, <laughs> there's an organization that holds parties at a lot of, like, sci-fi type conventions called okay. Barfleet. Um, it's a Star nice. Trek themed nice. group that does, like, you know, hotel <laughs> parties. And somewhere in that group, there's a recipe that has been passed around to everyone for Romulan ale. And it's like Blue Carousel okay. or other things like that. But it's <laughs> phenomenal and very dangerous in terms of the alcohol content. So... <laughs> Back to the Bad Batch, though. Uh, so what do y'all think of this episode? I I really enjoyed it. There were some aspects of it that really struck a chord with me. Um, not to bury the lead here, I'll say there were some horror elements to this episode. Uh, the elements with Wrecker, he was very formidable. I got horror movie, slasher movie vibes that uh, were super effective and really impressed me just in terms of it being an animated show, being able to actually make me genuinely scared and, and terrified of Wrecker and terrified for these characters. And also, we've we've made the comparisons to Mandalorian. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 6. We had that, uh, minor spoilers here, but we had an episode where Mandalorian worked with a ragtag group of criminals to do a jailbreak, and there was there oh, were some yeah, sequences right. in that were, that were very um, horror-esque. And it was, it was nice to see... I really enjoy when the Star Wars universe can expand in terms of genre as well. You, we talked about the political and the the human elements there, but I really like just from a, a filmmaking and a uh, entertainment making um, viewpoint, embracing embracing things like horror like that. So very pleased with the episode in that regard. There was a couple of times that I wrote in on the episodes I wasn't available, just talking about how much a fan I've been of the lighting. Uh, mm-hmm. As a photographer, I, I kind of have that eye for like lighting conveying emotion and their ability to do spotlights that are very high contrast, but doesn't like there's, there's no like, you know, game of Thrones last season scene where things are too dark to understand what's going on. So their ability to make things, give the emotion of darkness but still be really detailed and how much you can see is just impeccable um in regards to the wrecker scene i got a lot of um mcu vibes from there when Hmm. wrecker was chasing omega i was thinking of hulk chasing that and how terrifying that was good call good call. because there was just no control there actually was like intent to kill at that point Mm-hmm. And then the second, it, towards the end of the scene, the way the music shifted really sounded like Winter Soldier music, mm-hmm. which, again, reminded me of Winter Soldier uh, hunting Nat before Cap uh, intervened. I was also oh, yeah. buying my Black Widow tickets while I was watching this, so maybe it was just like, <laughs> nice. um, you know, influencing that. But 
there the the way that the music and the intensity and the fear factor of it that J. Scotty was saying was just really prominent. It was it actually had me like on the edge of my seat. Like we know that it's the sweet kid. She's not going to get hurt in one episode when we're like just before the halfway point. But they did a good job um, with the lighting, with the music, with the amount of character development that we've had in seven episodes to actually convey that and a couple of the seeds that were set up in episodes before like we know wrecker has a fear of heights before mm-hmm. that scene even happened like as soon as things were piled up i was like "Ooh, this is going to be interesting as soon as they had the water rise comment i was like it, it i don't want to say that it was predictable but it was just kind of like we we know enough about each individual's personalities to know how they're going to deal with the situation as it's put in front of them yeah you know, I think that make I think it makes a lot of sense. When we started getting even more of the Uncle Wrecker, you know, at the start of the episode of just seeing like the close bond between Wrecker and Omega, you know, I, like I've seen movies before, and I know it's that kind of like you know when you start to really hammer home an emotional relationship, it's because you're about to play with it some. And mm-hmm. but what's funny is that even though it was like a little bit telegraphed for that regard, especially then once he started having the bad headaches again. Mm-hmm. I still felt like it was completely effective. I felt I really was feeling even more just how much of a connection she had with him in particular. Mm-hmm. And so what like I her sense of betrayal and terror that this person who had been like such a good person to her and was really kind of like treating her as an equal in a lot of ways, in part because he's kind of just a big kid at heart that he's the one who turned like I really felt I connected with her even though it was set up a little bit um and I like that and I I definitely felt like this was the right time to resolve this storyline um I, I I think a couple of people have written in and saying or said things like you know if it had kept dragging on it would have gotten to be a problem and I I certainly wasn't starting to be bothered by it necessarily but I was about ready for it to to come to an end and I think the way they did it with also kind of leaving all these doors open of who else is going to have a problem with the chip now? Who else is going to have to need this? And that clearly it's going to be an ongoing issue is something I just I just really loved. So did you think that it was something that was just becoming overly redundant or was the anticipation just really getting to you for that? I think it's a little of both. I think okay. it's a little of, you know, it's one of those things where like it's one thing to go from like one to two to three to four to five. But when you're only going from, like, one to three, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not that there isn't much, you know, he starts normal, then he starts having the headaches, which are clearly, like, something about the chip, and then the chip takes over. I, I just felt like there wasn't really – I think they stayed about the right amount of time at two, but but there didn't feel – it felt like it, it would become redundant if it had kept going on. Sure. Does that make sense? What, what, what was your take on that? Um, I think it was more of an anticipation thing. Like, yeah, they did have it built up for about three episodes or so. So it was just a matter of like, are you really going to tease us with this headache until the end of the season? Mm-hmm. Which I guess was my anticipation for it. So I wasn't expecting it to be as resolved as quick as it was. Right. But mm-hmm. it was a lot of like, man, like, don't don't make me wait just to find out that he's really going to hurt somebody or him and crosshair are going to like tag team and take on the rest of the bad batch or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but I have to say the way that Rex responded 
when he got up and was standing in front of the girl and drawing his weapon, like he under him understanding the severity of it and then like thinking mm-hmm. about the flashbacks to the last season of Clone Wars. Um, you they really did a good job at dragging over that emotion of like we know what Rex has been through. The Bad Batch are taking it kind of lightly, like it's just kind of a nuisance that they're dealing with it. But seeing Rex's emotion of like we need to figure this out now. Right. And, and for those like, who haven't for those who haven't seen the Clone Wars, yeah, basically in season seven, spoilers for season seven, although we're we're pretty far past that at this point. But in the last kind of arc of that, Ahsoka and Rex and one or two other clones are on the ship, and I if I remember correctly, like Rex has the same ship and he starts to turn, but mm-hmm. she's able to knock him out, and he kind of like fights it just enough to give her that chance, and then she's able to take the ship out of him. But then the two of them spend the rest of the episode doing everything they can to not have to kill their fellow clones and then basically having to do exactly that. And and you can just see that he had such that sense of betrayal that I think that that's why for him it's like, yeah, no, I can't go through this again. I can't let them kill people I care about. And, I'm, you know, I just met this girl, but still she's an innocent. She's to be protected. Did that, did that any of what you're referring to there, did that involve the character of Fives at all? Because that was something... For me, just having watched, you know, the four episodes that included the introduction of the Bad Batch uh, of the final ep- the final season of Clone Wars, I heard the name Fives, and through context clues, I suspect that's like a former squad member, but I, I, I really didn't know the significance of that character beyond that. It was yeah, Fives, yeah. Echo, Rex, and oh, the other one, I remember he had like a wolf on his armor, but I can't remember his name. Yeah, so um, so actually, fives was fives was connected to that kind of stuff, but in a different way. There's an episode in se- there's a, a, a an arc of episodes, I believe, in season six of the Clone Wars. It might be episode uh, season five, where uh, another trooper has their chip go off early and hmm. winds up uh, killing uh, a Jedi, and then there's this whole investigation of it. And fives is the one who uh, it was Tup was the the one who did that. And Fives is, like, very close to him. And Fives, like, doesn't understand why this happened to his friend. And so Fives does this whole investigation, which leads Fives to discover the inhibitor chips. And he gets the information out to a couple of people. But then um, Palpatine is able to basically, like, set it up to, like, make people all think that Fives has just gone crazy. And he winds up, like, taking an action that causes the clones to shoot him. Because it looks like he's attacking the, the Emperor. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I think I think that when that's what they're talking about when they talk about fives is that fives okay. is the one who they remember is like he first started to figure out the stuff about the inhibitor chip and he died because of it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that all sounds pretty fascinating. We'll have to. Yeah. One more reason to revisit the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. No, to visit it, the, in the first place, I should say. <laughs> it's there's a lot of clumsiness in it, but they did a they did a lot to set that stuff up, and I think they also really did a lot to kind of set up where this show is going. So mm-hmm. which which I like, and I. Uh, there's another piece of Star Wars media that is very connected to where we are in the story now that I want to get to in a second. But but first I want to ask, how do you all feel about the fact that we spent so long not seeing Crosshair and Coruscant and all the things happening there? It's starting to get to me a little bit. As much as I enjoyed the episode, that is one of my, my gripes. Mm-hmm. At, the, at this point in the game, I feel like with as fascinating a character... And the complexity that's involved with with Crosshair, as well as you know the world building we've we've referred to, you know one of the best parts of the show is the time period that we're getting to spend time and and getting that fleshed out. 
I'm just missing that a little bit. It's a small complaint, but if yeah. I'm going to levy any complaints, that's the one. Yeah, I think with episode 8 being our halfway mark, it would be really nice if 9, like episode 9, was just a solo crosshair episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, like, like you guys, just kind of copying what you guys are saying, that it, I do miss that story. I do want to see what's happening on that end of things. Uh, yeah, it's a, I, I feel like we've they've planted enough seeds with our hero group right now, and I would like to see a balance of that happening on the other yeah. end as well. Uh, just a quick correction. So this was episode seven, so it would be episode eight is the next one, but I think you're right that we're at that halfway point, so this would be the perfect time to go back and have a like a full episode of what's been happening on Coruscant with Crosshair and all those people. Because uh, I'm, I'm definitely missing it. I'm, I'm trusting them that they are going to give us that story. I feel like if we just kind of yada yada through what's happening with Tarkin and Coruscant and the regular troops taking over from the stormtroopers, I'm going to be kind of bummed. Because certainly, I mean, it, it's been a, like three or four episodes by now. But the last time we saw all them out together, the, the human soldiers uh, resisted. They didn't want to do the terrible things that Crosshair was willing to do in terms of slaughtering those civilians. And so I think there was some real question about, like, are clones better than regular soldiers? And Tarkin wasn't sure. So I mm-hmm. definitely want to see more where that question gets explored. Right. Yeah, episode three was when they had the crosshair in and out episode. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. So the last big thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the, the other Star Wars media property that is connected to the planet we're now on. And, and some kind of theorizing about what that might mean. But before we get into that, because that's going to be a spoiler that some people may not want to um, be a part of, for you, either of you, is there any other kind of big big comments you wanted to make about the show or just little things you wanted to point out about this episode? Uh, one thing I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up is I absolutely got a huge chuckle out of the transition from the Bad Batch with the lizard they'd captured to Sid looking at the lizard through the cage to where it's framed, to where it looks like Sid is the one caged, and then she's like, oh, yeah. that is a strange-looking lizard. I, <laughs> I love that. Um, I thought that was a really nice move. Yeah, outside of that, um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is I talked about some of the homage that was paid uh, to you know the Mandalorian in terms of like the horror sequences, but also with the, the aquatic sarlacc that we got. I felt like there was uh, some reference being paid to A New Hope with the Dianoga in the garbage compactor scene there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I really appreciated that. And then I also felt, as a Lord of the Rings fan, you've got that scene in the Fellowship of the Ring where they're outside the mines of Moria and you've got the, mm-hmm. the Kraken Watcher creature. So definitely uh, felt those vibes and really appreciated that. Nice. Yeah, it's I've... nice seeing the consistency of creatures throughout these properties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am I, I Paul would be even more so I think on this train. I'm definitely on the watching our heroes fight big monsters isn't the thing that I really am drawn to with with Star Wars. Sure. Um especially now that they're doing things like the the original big monster, the Rancor, now we've gotten to meet as a little baby and like now I'm going to not be able to watch that scene again. Gucci. <laughs> what was it the character? Yeah, that's right. Gucci. Gucci. Um, oh, Gucci. <laughs> But yeah, it, it was a cool, cool, like, little, like, callback. But I wish it hadn't gone on quite so long. Sure. Zuhara, what about for yourself? Was there any other kind of last things you wanted to point out? Um, Tech is really giving me Sheldon Cooper vibes, where he just has the need to observe everything out loud. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing he hasn't gotten killed for it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Tech and Crosshair would really not get along very well. I don't remember no. if we saw some tension between the two of them when they were all together. But I think Crosshair is the one who is most likely to have things get on his nerves and then to start killing things that get on his nerves. Yeah, I feel like Crosshair just kind of gets a little irritated with everybody and Wrecker's just the emotional relief between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in regards to what you and Paul were talking about last week, I kind of had some thoughts on why they gave her a bow and arrow and it's it's interesting that they've been having these moments of like oh yeah that was crosshairs that was crosshairs this is what crosshair did yeah that was crosshairs job and there's been a couple of episodes the rancor episode and the last one when they were getting the droid's head where they had first echo try to be overwatch and then that failed miserably they had um wrecker be overwatch and that failed miserably Mm -hmm. so i think they're actually setting her up to take the mantle of crosshair in terms of because she's very perceptive Mm. and she sees things and hides in places that the regular group like doesn't think of or notice so i'm wondering if she's eventually going to be like the up top person who like sees everything and has the sniper caliber weapon the precision caliber weapon yeah, hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and certainly we saw in that first episode where she shot the gun out of Crosshair's hands. Like, she is very good at precision shooting mm-hmm. as long as she can, like, control the weapon. Um, I, I think it's most it, – it was just kind of amusing of, like, they gave the weapon that requires the most physical strength to the person with the least of it. But it also felt like somewhere in between the start of this episode and the end she had done – you know, or, uh, it was last episode, I mean. But somewhere between the beginning and the end of last episode she had done – 10,000 bicep curls because all of a sudden she was strong enough to pull it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's not going to be a huge problem going forward. They also had the dialogue of Echo saying you can't always rely on a fluke. So how do right. we know that shot hitting Crosshair wasn't a fluke? Yeah, that's also yeah. true. The only thing that gives me pause with that speculation is like some of the revelations and the resolution that we got with this episode. We know that they have a way to to save crosshair and again me as someone that hadn't watched the clone wars i didn't know if that was necessarily a possibility so there's a very strong likelihood that given the fact that they were able to save wrecker and this didn't end in heartbreak just kind of shows to me where the trajectory of this show is going i guess there's still the possibility that it could end in a really dark place and i would be Mm -hmm. um as as heartbreaking as as it would be i would be all, all on board for that just for you know, having emotional payoff and gravitas, but I do think being here at the halfway point, they've done a good job of letting us know as an audience where to expect this series to go in the long run. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely think, I think it would be kind of interesting if given how far apart they were, if Crosshair comes back and then winds up kind of being like a mentor in that regard to her. Ooh, okay. But I, but I definitely think you're right. I, I think she may take on that role in the group for now but I don't think they're setting her up to replace Crosshair because I certainly think Crosshair is coming back in some regard yeah. or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they've kind of set her up a little bit as a, a Jack, or I guess a, a Jane of all trades, you know, that she can do a little bit. She, like we haven't seen it for a while, but she was very good at like mimicking hunters, like tracking and sneaking right. abilities. So right. you can kind of see. So the last thing I wanted to get into is the connection between what we have now and the video game Star Wars Fallen Order, which for anybody who hasn't played yet, uh, we uh, if you haven't played it and are not planning to, 
then you probably don't mind being spoiled. And I will say that we did a full episode on it uh, on this podcast a couple of episodes back. Uh, for anybody who hasn't played it but wants to, I'm about to spoil some stuff that, that is at the beginning of the episode, uh, the very beginning of the video game, but still is like you know important character stuff. So if you don't want to be spoiled at all, feel free to skip ahead. Uh, so with that, going into spoilers for the video game in 3, 2, 1. Uh, have either of you two played the video game? I have. You have? Okay. Yes. So I uh, started playing it and threw my controller so many times that I just... Yeah. I, I just don't care about spoilers for that game at this point anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I, I think so you uh, you share my feelings that I, I was very upset that they put, like, legit story into a video game that doesn't just have an easy story mode, you know? Yeah, I was be... happy with the, the fact that it had a good story to it, and it wasn't even that the game was difficult, it was just that the mechanics sucked on it. Yeah, the, the platformer, but anyway. It should not be that hard for a semi-trained Jedi to deflect blaster fire from one person standing in front of him but yeah. i'm not going to go on that tangent right now <laughs> yes. i'm okay that's... with spoilers is what i'm saying and so yeah the so the reason i go into this is that that those gorgeous graph graphics we're talking about uh the gorgeous scene you're talking about uh in the show is almost the exact same as what happens in the video game because the video game starts on the same planet of Braca, where mm-hmm. and in the course of the game we learn that when order 66 came uh, the hero of that story, Cal Kestis, was a, a young Padawan, very kind of similar to Kanan Jarrus, who we saw the, the first episode uh, of, of Bad Batch, who escaped while his master was able to like sacrifice himself to save his Padawan, and they were in orbit at that point over the planet Braca. And so that's where his, the presu- presumption is at least, I mean, it's possible that, that something else happened, but it certainly seems like they were over Braca. And that Calcastus crashed on Braca. Um, on the one hand, I sort of am like, I I don't want this that story to become too canon because it's so inaccessible. But it is a cool story. And I certainly feel like they wouldn't have gone to that planet so soon after that video came out, video game came out, if they weren't planning to make a connection there. Uh, do you guys get the same sense? I, I'm not sure how deep a connection i expect i i think mm-hmm. it just might be one of those things you do talk about the accessibility of the story and i feel like the fact that you know minor spoilers here again being a a padawan that survived order 66 the character calcestis he at the beginning of this game he is very much in hiding and doesn't want anyone to know about his force powers so the fact that he is you know uh playing it so low-key it it does make me wonder will there really be that connectivity to the the characters i think it might just be a a place setting thing and we may get some context to the beginning of that game we 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 talk about the visual consistency on the planet but i do have to mention that i did notice that it looked like it was a little bit more of just a barren wasteland of crashed ships whereas i think when we're in the video game we start to see a little bit more of the infrastructure of like some of these towering machines that are taking apart these 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 scraps and whatnot and then Obviously, at the end of the episode, we have the, uh, what is it, the Scrapping Guild informing the Empire. So that's just going to bring the Empire there. That's going to bring the Inquisitors there and create that much more of a hostile environment for Cal to to have to navigate and i i just don't know if the connections are going to be any any deeper outside yeah. of that but we'll, we'll we will see i'd be open yeah. to it i mean by the video game also it's like i think 12 or 15 years later so obviously that that's where all the the infrastructure built up and cal's sure, been hiding sure. all that time sure. i just looked it up it's five years oh is it five years I thought it was a it's lot five longer. years okay. after revenge of the sith okay, okay. 
Okay. So yeah. So uh, so I got the dates really wrong there. So yeah. So so it could be another part of the planet too. That's entirely possible. Yeah. But it would make sense, like that kind of infrastructure and stuff gets built up over these five years because they're huh. they're just starting to scrap things. Sure. But the beginning of Solo also happens at this time, but then there's a jump of three years within the film. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think hmm. what Jay Scotty said kind of solidified my thoughts towards it is that, especially shows like The Mandalorian have been tapping into Clone Wars and Rebels so much, mm-hmm. but in a way that if people didn't watch it they would still be able to enjoy it and follow the story. Right. So I think this is just going to be another way of bringing things as the games have set up, and we could see Cal on screen and somebody be like, ooh, that's him, that's him. It's the same thing with uh, Kanan, because there's a lot of people who haven't seen Rebels who could have seen him and been like, who is this Jedi that got away? Um so yeah. I'm I'm not too worried about it. I feel like it's just going to be like if you've played the game, excuse me. If you've played the game, you'll catch on to the references. If not, enjoy the show for what it is. You're not missing out too much. Yeah. Oh, and to be clear, I I'm not worried about it. I think it could be awesome, and I I definitely think that like at the most it would be you're right. What what they do with uh, Kanan, where it's not going to be uh, alienating people who haven't seen it. But I think the two theories that I've been playing around with, one is just that you know. They're only on this planet for another episode or two, but while they're there, at some point, they get into some trouble, and, like, they come across this red-haired, red-headed kid who, like, helps them out in some small way. And, mm-hmm. like, it's just a, like, you know, one-minute cameo, and for most people, they're like, okay, that's just some local kid. And, like you said, the video game players are like, oh, I know who that is. Right, right. The other I, could theory see, I could see something like that, yeah. The other theory I've been playing around with, though, is because, I, at least if I remember correctly, in the video game... They don't say much about, like, what happened immediately after Order 66. And we're still in that, you know, he crashed. We don't know how he kind of wound up eventually getting himself away from everything and into the Scrapper's Guild and all that. It The way they set up the narrative in that game is he's, as I kind of mentioned, he's very much isolated and has kind of disconnected himself from the Force, kind of much right. like Luke Skywalker had. So as he becomes more capable as a Jedi and becomes more connected to the Force, we get that backstory and we actually get to see what right. happened from the moment that he, he you know, lost his right. master to how he wound up at the beginning of the game. Right. But but I think my only point is that in this story, we're only a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two after he's lost his master. And so we don't know at what point he had, like, cut himself off from the Force and, and or, or that kind of hiding point. That's true. Because my um, only... The, the, well, the second theory I was going to give is... And I think this is a long shot, but I think it would be kind of awesome if they did it. Given that the sort of thing that broke the group apart originally was deciding whether or not they were going to carry out Order 66 on a young Padawan, namely Kanan Jarrus, I wonder if we're going to come back to this planet by the final episode and attempt to, you know, once again, you know, get the chips out of people, maybe like the last two or three episodes as an arc, and that one of the things that's going to happen is that the Empire has become aware that Cal is on the planet and our heroes have to, like, you know, they're once again in a situation and this time Crosshair is able to help the Padawan instead of being the one to help hunt the Padawan. Interesting. Um, and that's a big part. And maybe, like, they help him fake his death or something so that everyone thinks that Cal is dead. It's a long shot. I don't know if it's going to happen, but the the synergy of there being another escaped Padawan who they can kind of have a redo of what happened in episode one, but do it right this time. I think there could be a really interesting like kind of symmetry there. 
I was also looking up what um his friend's name was prof mm-hmm. at the beginning the one he worked with at the scrapper guild maybe that could be like the character that makes an appearance in the show oh, too, for since sure. he, uh spoilers died so early for sure yeah i think that could totally work yeah i mean my, there's there's so many other things they could do and i i will say i've really enjoyed the fact that there aren't lightsabers in most of the show you know that this is a show about the Rogue One type people. And so I, I wouldn't want Cal to become a major character and thus kind of take over the story. But I think it could be fun if, and maybe even like if he's already cut himself off from the Force, but they're still hunting him or something like that. Yeah, there was a lot of dialogue in Clone Wars about how killing Jedi are their specialty. Like there was a couple of units who like were had the skill set to do so even before Execute, execute Order 66 happened. Mm-hmm. So that perspective of the Jedi not being invincible and troops actually being able to go toe to toe with them is something that even if Jedi do show up at some point, like I like the fact that we can actually see a proper battle on them and I'd be like, haha, I'm victorious because I'm a Jedi. You have no chance against me. Right. Like we see the Mandalorians be able to go toe to toe. We see the clones be able to go toe to toe. Uh, so it's, it's leveling the playing field a lot more, which I'm, if we do have to see it, I want to see it with that extent. Not, okay, the Jedi showed up, it's over. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that's true because, you know, in the video game especially, they established those, like, the, the, the clone groups who were set up secretly, obviously, but, like, specifically trained to hunt and kill Jedi. And it, it helps a lot because in the movies, I think, and in the, the TV show The Clone Wars, at times the Jedi just seem so powerful that the way they're killed so easily in Revenge of the Sith just doesn't seem to make any sense. But all these other properties, I think, have really made it all clear. Like, no, the Jedi are super badass warriors. They're space wizards, no doubt. But there are clone troops who've been very specifically trained that in groups with the exact right tactics, with some surprise, they can take take people down. So speaking of Jedi and lightsabers showing up, how would you feel if an Inquisitor showed up in the show? Like the first Inquisitor. That could be, and for those who don't know, Inquisitors are, they're not Sith themselves, because they're still the rule of two, but they are dark side force users who have been trained by Darth Vader to help him hunt down the last remaining Jedi and basically, you know, Inquisition against any survivors of Order 66. And one thing that we learn in the video game, I think it's been implied in other places, but the video game really drives it home, is that the Inquisitors are all former Jedi who were captured. And that a lot of the time, it's former Padawans or other younger Jedi who felt betrayed by the, like, you know, that their master didn't help protect them. Or for some other reason, they have a huge amount of bitterness and anger and fear about Order 66 and towards the Jedi uh, Order, which allows them to be turned to the dark side and have all this hate for the Jedi. I, I think on the one hand, I'd love to see it. I think, though, the timeline doesn't make sense because if... Well, if, if if all of the Jedi are, you know, Padawans who were captured during Order 66 interned, I think it's way too soon. I think if they establish that maybe there were some, like, Padawans who were captured or, or thought killed during the Clone Wars, and Vader has had, like, a year or two to turn them already, or even just, like, a couple of months to turn them already, then I think that could totally make sense. And, and especially as an antagonist, I think it would be kind of cool to have show up. Uh, a little spoiler for Rebels, if you haven't seen it. Uh, I recall the Grand Inquisitor was one of the Temple Guards. He wasn't even a Padawan. Like, he had been in his oh, position right. for a while. He was protecting the Jedi. 
Um, but we never really got much story into like why or how he became an Inquisitor. And right. I know that Dooku had been training Grievous and um, what's her name, Ventress. Ventress, yeah, yeah. So them training people to use Force abilities isn't something new either. So it's like, have there already been Inquisitors? Is it actually like a real concept? Is it people that they've been training who they just like made the Inquisitor core yeah. like? Once the clones couldn't properly hunt Jedi because of like what the Bad Batch did, or yeah, I don't know. I, I think the possibility is there, and so. if we had to throw lightsabers into this, like that could be a scenario in which I wouldn't be bumped by it. Yeah, like my impression up till now has been that the Inquisitors are all people who were turned by and trained by Darth Vader himself. And so okay. I think it's also, it's so, but, but that could very well be wrong. It could be that Sidious has been, and certainly, I mean, the idea of, you want to talk about people who would have some resentment against the Jedi Order, take someone like, you know, take him away from his family at three years old and raise him among all these people and tell him all these stories about space wizards going off and doing these glorious, wonderful things. And you're going to be beloved throughout the empire. And by the way, your job is going to be to stand in front of this door. Like, yeah, there could be some bitterness there. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think I think though that could be a fun story, especially if what I wouldn't want to see is an Inquisitor shows up and the Bad Batch can't handle it, and so you know Kanan Juris comes back or Cal Kestis comes back, like a Force user has to rescue them. Yeah, watching no, the I, I want to see our heroes actually be able to take them on. Yeah, watching the Bad Batch have a very hard fight, but be able to take down an Inquisitor, like that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Scotty, are you back? I'm back. Okay. I'm not sure what happened. And no, he's back. Okay. Well, we've been going into it, but yeah, if you want to kind of jump in with your thoughts on the the theories I had. Um. Or if just not, we're it, just going to move on. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's probably just better if 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 we move on. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, so I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities there. I think I think you're right. We probably won't get something as kind of in depth as I'm thinking about. Um, and it might just be that we get some other character or something like that. I think de- they definitely won't put any kind of a situation where you only understand it if you play the video game because they, as you pointed out, they've been so good about that up until now. But I think that going to Braca, showing us that it's so similar to what it is in the video game, there's, I think there's definitely going to be a little bit more of a connection with some of the characters. Yeah. So we'll see. We there. shall see. see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why you two share a podcast. That's right. <laughs> Minds are in sync. Uh, any comments about the anim- on that subject? Any comments about the animation and kind of how this all looked? Yeah, well, while we're on the subject of Braca, I have to bring up the fact that we talked about how beautiful it was, but the thing that really stuck out to me were the backgrounds. I've talked about you know painterly brushstrokes on the characters quite a bit, but it was just stunning how you have these really well rendered, highly detailed. Uh, not only environmental structures, but the figure themselves in the foreground. And then you get these backgrounds and the farther and farther and farther you start to draw in the distance, the more and more and more hand painted it starts to see to seem to where some of the things on the horizon, it's like you can basically see like the, the individual brush strokes and, and, mm-hmm. and pencil lines and whatnot. And I, I absolutely love stuff like that. Not only does it add uh, personality and, and texture uh, it's it's just an amazing showcase of artistic ability, and, and I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah I think all... I already said my piece about the the lighting and sound, so I'm mm-hmm. not gonna 
not going to be a broken record on it. Yeah, no, I get that. I think I, I'm also glad you all can point that out because I, you know, I have the response like, ooh, pretty, but I don't notice all the kind of details you do. So I love that. So, well, and if people want to hear more about your thoughts on uh, paint strokes and sound and all the other and characters and story and all the great things about animation, uh, talk a bit about your podcast and what's going on with them now. Yes, we are Animation Deliberation. We're the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. And it is an absolutely wonderful time to be a fan of animated content. We're obviously uh, partnering with the Star Wars Universe show to cover Bad Batch, but we recently did our coverage of Amazon's Invincible. That was a huge show, created a lot of growth for us. There was a lot of interesting conversations happening there. And then... uh, what served as kind of a nice palate cleanser to that. We also just recently did Modoc on Hulu, which was a little more tongue in cheek, a little more humorous, a little more <laughs> out sure. there, but uh, that was a lot of fun too. And we have a lot of fun stuff just around the corner. Uh, I'm sure Zuhair will have some stuff he, he wants to bring up on the anime, excuse me, the anime side of things. But I'll, I will just mention that we have masters of the universe uh, dropping in July. So that's another one to keep an eye out for. So, Animation deliberation wherever you find your podcasts. Awesome, awesome. I'm gonna say I just want to clarify that the positive palate cleanser is Jay Scotty's opinion. If you want to hear what I thought about Modoc, check out the show because it was not as positive. Um, but yeah, we did our coverage of Demon Slayer and Mugen Train, which has been number one in the world for months now, and it is an amazing movie. I watched it three times in theaters myself. Uh, we are going to be doing some coverage of Demon Slayer itself, so by the time it's available on streaming, hopefully you guys will have the opportunity to watch this amazing series and send your feedback about it so we can all geek over it together. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really enjoying your podcast. It's it's. I feel like it's making a lot of those shows accessible, even for folks like me who are not huge fans of that, of that medium, so I really enjoy it. If you want to check out more of my stuff, obviously there's this podcast. There's also the Su- Superhero Ethics podcast. You can find both of those on Podcast Catchers or, or on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. You can also find all the stuff that I'm doing at theethicalpanda.com. And if you have feedback uh, on this episode or anything else, send it in to theethicalpanda.com. There's a, a form there. You can email me at theethicalpanda at gmail.com or find me on Twitter or Facebook at theethicalpanda. And lastly, a kind of new thing I've been doing recently, I'm trying to do this on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, but it's not exact, generally around 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Um, I'm trying to uh, really hone my poker game. So I've been playing the game Pot Limit Omaha online, very low stakes. And while I'm doing that, I'm talking about some issue related to this stuff. So I did something on Loki and time travel. I did something on uh, pride and representation. I did something on Star Wars a couple weeks ago. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I had great chats with people come in, ask me questions. You can ask about the poker. You can tell me what I'm doing wrong with the poker. I've still got a lot to learn. Talk to me about the stuff I'm talking about. Sometimes Paul Hoppy will, will jump on for both poker advice and just kind of continue the conversation. We're having a lot of fun. And whether or not you uh, want to check that out, if you just want to help support what we're doing, if you could just go to twitch.tv, search for The Ethical Panda, and just click the follow button. You don't have to pay anything. Nothing goes out. Uh, you'll get emails letting you know when I'm uh, podcasting. If you have notifications turned on, you can also turn them off. But mostly just the more followers I get, the more people who are going to be super excited about that content are going to get to find it. So if you don't mind, it really helped me uh, drop a follow there. Check out the Animation Deliberation podcast. Check out all the other great podcasts on Stranded Panda. And most importantly, have a great day. Roger, roger.
keep <laughs> tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N. I like it. <laughs>